Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It's great to be back on the air with everybody. We were off last weekend because my granddaughter, my first granddaughter was born, Sophia Grace. And that song goes out to her, Judas Priest, Soul Angels, because she is my angel. We got a great show for everybody tonight. Kiko Shredders, I guess, an amazing Brazilian guitar player. We'll be talking to him in about 25 minutes or so. We're going to keep the music going between now and then. How about Avenger, Battlefield?
Takashi with the Kamikaze. Remember seeing those guys live back in the day? We had such an amazing metal scene here in New York, especially, you know, where I grew up in Brooklyn because we had Lamar, and Lamar really wasn't that far from my house, maybe a 15-minute walk or one stop on the train ride to get there. And I spent every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night there. Back in the day when it first opened up, it was mostly just Friday and Saturday shows, but by the mid-'80s, the metal took off. They would do a battle of the bands on Thursday. They would open on Sunday. So it was always a four-day weekend hanging out at Lamar. I know people will point to California, but uh, we had an amazing scene here. Such great bands. And Takashi was one of them. Danny Stanton, the singer from that band, uh, you know, Heaven and Hell re-released that four-song EP about three years ago. I think there were three or four bonus tracks on it that were really good and, and kind of rare. So if you haven't picked up a copy of that, you know, go to the Heaven Hell website and buy yourself one. I believe on Bandcamp you can download the digital uh, if you prefer the digital copy of it. Uh, but Danny Stanton is like a big shot today, the original singer of the band, like in the music business. He has like a music management company and manages a lot of well-known artists over there. So uh, they were getting back together a few years ago. I think they did a one-off show or maybe two, but that was it. Nothing else really came out of it after that. There was a band he was in right after Takashi. I believe it was Ninja. Uh, they had put out two records, a couple of singles, uh, and they were a pretty good band too. Uh, I have to go dig up some of that stuff and uh, play it again. I really enjoyed it. All right, we're going to talk to uh, Kiko Shred in about 10 minutes or so. We'll play one or two more tunes, and then we'll ring him up on the phone, and we'll get that interview going. Uh, but how about a little Warlord? We'll do some Aliens.
Shot for Murder. Those guys, that album came out around '93. That was a self-titled record, Capricorn. Before that, they were a band called Grinder. Uh, they were a German band out of Frankfurt, Germany, back in the day. They, they were around from the early '80s, maybe '83, '84, uh, before changing their name in '92. And I think they had about three, four releases out when they were Grinder. They were a pretty good band that kind of fell under the radar. Nothing new, nothing original. Just you know, just good. <laughs> All right, let's get uh, Kiko on the line here. And we'll uh, talk to him in about two seconds. So just bear with me here. We have to head over to Skype and uh, make the connection over there. Sometimes it takes me a little longer than normal when we do this. So uh, let's see what we got here. All right. That's not what we're looking for. Let's try the other one. Ever since they changed uh, Skype around, it gets really confusing trying to figure this out. But let's see what we can do here. All righty. No, that's not going to work. Let's try this. Let's try that. 
Let's try opening the whole thing over here. You know what? We'll play another quick tune while I figure this one out over here. Every time they upgrade this thing and change it around, it confuses the hell out of me, you know? All right, let's, let's do a little quick number here while I uh, kind of work on this. How about acid the day you die? <laughs> Let's get Kiko on the line. I realize you have to bring down a box before you can make a call. <laughs> Simple mistake, right? Here we go. Hello? Kiko, this is Mike. Hello. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, I'm fine too, man. 
All right. That's great. I'm, I'm yeah. happy to have you on here today. And I'm more happy that, you know, Royal Art on RFL Records, a big deal. Yeah, man, me too. It's very, very important for me, for my career to to sign with RFL. They are doing a, a great job. Great they promotion. Are. Absolutely. And I'm happy too because a lot of people are going to hear this record that maybe didn't hear the first two. And that's important because, you know, you want to get your music out there for people to hear. Yeah, of course. Um, since I was working on, on the first songs from this album, Royal Art, I was searching for a for a record deal to release it worldwide. So I started to talk to I started to talk to John, and I I started to show him my my ideas, uh, the first demo versions, and and then I started to to working on the album and I made the video clip and and then I, I I got the the deal with RFL so great I'm very happy I'm so happy for you too and the new record how is it different than Riding the Storm or The Stride is it in the same formula or are you going in a different direction musically well uh, when I started my solo career with writing the storm the first album i was more focused on the instrumental songs because i i used to do uh, many guitar clinics and guitar workshop master classes and i was more focused on the instrumental songs then with with the stride i started to think more about the the songs with vocals and now with Royal Art, I actually got the, the band format with Mario Pastore, the singer, and Lucas on the drums, and William on the bass. On the bass. Um, so I'm walking through, through this way now to, to get the, the band format, you know, uh, not, not only um, an instrumental record, uh, only a a guitar player album, you know what I mean? Um, now I'm working uh, more focus on the band, on the music with vocals, the melodies, the lyrics. Uh, I think this is the way that I can reach more people, and, and that is it. Yeah, well, when you're writing an instrumental track compared to writing a track with vocals, do you approach the music differently, or is it the same writing process for you? Well, um, normally I used to start the the vocal songs with the chorus, you know, uh, and I I think about a a, a hook, uh, a good chorus, and then I start to to think about the the verse and the bridge, but to the the song with voices, I I really think it's important to have a a good chorus and a good hook to people sing together, you know. Uh, when I start to to compose the instrumental songs, I used to sing more in a in a riff, and there is no no much rules for me to compose the instrumental songs. But when I'm working with the the songs with voices, I really 
think that's very important to to work on the chorus, on the melodies. Um, it's very it's a different process. It's a different process. Yeah, I mean you're an amazing guitar player. I mean your technique, your style is just incredible. So when you're writing a song with vocals, do you feel like you kind of have to hold back a little bit, not to let the guitar work overwhelm the song? Uh, can you can you repeat the last question, please? I said that you're an amazing guitar player. Your, oh, your, thank your, you. Your technique and style is phenomenal. But do you feel you have to hold back a little bit and not go so far off playing when you're doing uh, a vocal song? Uh, my influence is um, to play the guitar is guitar players like uh, Malmsteen and George Lynch. And they used to play in bands, uh, in Vey Malmsteen and George Lynch, that they... They have very simple harmonies, you know, very very simple harmonic guitar, uh, and then in the in the guitar solo they used to 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 put all the techniques and all the leaks and stuff. When I composed the the songs with vocals, I used to think that way too. Um, I I used to to put more technique and more. Um, uh, more technique, more speed, more leaks, only on the solo and work with uh, with harmony that I could uh, explore more the melody, you know, to be uh, more accessible to the fans, to the to the normal crowds, to the normal people, not only for guitar players. Then I I do a simple harmony uh, in the most of the songs, and I I let only the the, the solo. The guitar solo to show all my abilities, my skills, my my speed, my technique. You know, uh, I think that is it. Yeah, you know, you play with a lot of great people live. Ripper Owens, Michael Vescara from Obsession, and you just went out with Leather Leone on her tour. Is it difficult stepping in to play guitar with established artists playing their music, songs that were written by other people and played guitar by other people? Uh, not really, not really. I I always had time to to prepare myself for for those tours. Uh, Reaper always is a, a great guy. They all are. Uh, Michael Vesera became a good friend. Later on, too. Uh, they all are are a good good person, great musicians and nice persons too. So I I never had problems. Not to learn the songs, not to to travel with them, to work with them, not at all. Uh, they are very good, very nice persons and great musicians, very professional. So it's it's good for me. It's easy. True. When you do play with them, do you try to recreate the guitar sound that came with them and the record, or do you add a little bit of your own style to the music? Yeah, I used to put my own style. Uh, but not change everything, not to change everything. Like Painkiller guitar solo, uh, I like to do the the, the phrases because that's a great, amazing guitar solo. But um, I put my own style too, um, and another solos I can I can say when I play with when I played with Vesera with Michael Vesera, uh, 
I tried to to play the most close that I that I could the Ingvay Malmes guitar solos and the Akira Takazaki from Loudness guitar solos too because I'm a huge fan of them of Malmes and Akira so I I try to to play uh more close than that I can but if 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 it needs I can put my own style too uh there's no problem when I played with Doug White, uh, we played that Ariel song from Rainbow. And in the rehearsal, I played the solo, just jamming. And I asked Doogie, uh, is this okay for you? Can I jam? Because in the live, in the Rainbow live version, Rich Blackmore do a, um, a jam in a solo. Yeah. And it, and it, it took a... I don't know, maybe ten minutes. So if I could not to 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 learn note per note from this guitar solo, this live version, and then I asked Doogie, say, hey Doogie, um, can I jam in this solo? And he say, all right, you can do everything you want. So uh, I never had problem. If if it needs, I can put my own style. They are, as I said to you, they are very nice persons. Uh, I'm lucky to, I have lucky to to have playing with those amazing artists, amazing singers. They are. I mean, you know, is it better to be in a band where everybody has a decision to make and has a choice, or do you prefer to be like, you know, the boss, the one guy that, you know, everybody counts on to make it happen? <laughs> is it better that good. way? Yeah, good question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, many many people asking me about uh, why I choose to to do a solo band. Um, I think it's more more easy for me, more practice, uh, more it, it's much more easy because I don't need to to ask the the opinion of uh, to compose the songs. You know, there is no there is no ego involved. You know. Because people know it's my band, then the, I will compose the lyrics and the songs, and I don't need to. I, I always ask the the, the musicians uh, for ideas, you know. But I can I can compose the, compose the song, the lyrics, and don't need to to spend much time discussing about this. And it's more easy for me. Yeah. You've been doing this a very long time. I mean, it, it, how's the scene down in South America these days? Is it a, a very good metal scene down there? I mean, a lot of bands go down there to play because they say the fans are just fantastic down there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, here in South America, people used to to listen to old school metal uh, when I did that uh, those tours with the the singers we are talking about. Um, we always we always had uh, a big crowd, many people on the shows. Uh, here in South America, people really really appreciate really like it, old school metal, and the scene is is very good, very good, I think. Uh, I've never been in Europe or United States uh, or Canada. Uh, I wish I, I could go soon. But here, I think uh, heavy metal, hard rock is doing good. 
people used to to buy the physical measures like CD, you know, and and all the merchandise and stuff. And many artists uh, comes here to to do the tours, but it's it's fine. We have the problems like um, technical problems, equipment, and all that stuff. Uh, but but it's good. It's good to to play here. Yeah. Is it difficult to get the band out to like different countries? Is it challenging, or does the band need to be a little bit more established, like you know, on record to to move to like Europe and play there? Uh, sorry, uh, can you you ask me again? Sure. Is it hard for the band to to get out of South America to play shows in the USA in Europe? Is it difficult right now to make that happen? Yeah, it, uh, it's difficult because uh, our money. Uh, it's very, very below than U.S. dollars or, or euro. Then uh, everything that we have to pay in dollar or euro is much expensive. It's very, very expensive for us. You know what I mean? Like that is the 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 most difficult thing. It's very expensive to travel to Europe or to travel to to United States. Uh, but uh, it's not impossible. It's uh, many bands uh, are doing that. Nervosa from Brazil and other bands, the the pioneers like Angra and Sepultura, they they opened uh, a door for us and show us that it's possible. It's just work hard and and work hard and, and do good music, and it's possible. I think it's it's hard, but it's possible, you know. <laughs> True, it it can happen, and with you know being signed to RFL Records, that does help out because you get that support that you might not get by doing it on your own. Yeah, of course, of course, for sure. Uh, that's why I'm I'm very happy. One of the reasons that I'm very happy to work with RFL Records and to be able to to do a fan base in Europe and and other countries, because the the fan is they they are everything. If you if you have a good fan base, you can do shows and uh, the most important thing is the is the fans are the fans you know. So if you have fans, you can you have you you have how to play how to do a concert, and this is the 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 most important thing. So with RFL, I can reach more fans. I can show my music to Europe, Japan, Canada, and United States. Uh, this is very good for me, very good for my career. It really is. And Kiko, I'm going to let you go now because I'm going to play some music, and I can't thank you enough for being on tonight's show. What What do you have planned uh, for the rest of 2019? Any shows coming up? Uh, anything happening? Yeah, I, I will go for the first time to Europe with Letter Leone. Um, it's, it's very, very, very nice to play with her. Uh, she's a amazing singer, a very, very nice person. Uh, the band is great too, uh, Brazilian band. Uh, so I'm very excited and keep promoting my new album, The Royal Art. I can't wait for the release, the worldwide release in September. Uh, I will. Uh, I will do 
more videos. I I already had the I already have the video clip. I will cast no more from the song. I will cast no more years before the sign. I just released my new lyric video, the Alchemist Fire. But now I I have plans to record the playing along the instrumental songs to show to promote the instrumental songs too. And that's my plans. Well, that's great. The best of luck. Have a great time in Europe. And when you see Leather, tell him Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem said hello. Leather's my good friend. Yeah, yeah, I will. Thank you, man. Thank you very much for, for the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience. Uh, it was my pleasure, Kiko. Have a great day, my friend. Take care. For you, too. Bye. Bye-bye.
Chase, I don't have the new uh, record by Kiko Shred. It doesn't come out till September, and I haven't gotten an advanced copy yet because it's still a little bit off, so we didn't get to play anything by him on the show. But when it comes out, I promise you we will. But right there, like I said, at war with Ray Chase. Maybe that should be uh, Donald Trump's uh, <laughs> campaign song when he runs for re-election. All right, we're going to get to more music in a little bit. We're going to wrap it up around 7.30 tonight probably. Uh, we're in for the rest of the month. We're not off again until the first week of August, and that's probably it till the end of the year. At least I go on vacation in October. It was nice taking uh, one week off every month, you know, for the last couple of months in the spring and summertime. So uh, I'm happy. Got a little break over there. Next week, who do we have on the show? Jim Harris from Fallon Storm will be on the show. And I believe the week after that, we have Bill Beetle from Sacrilege. They just put out a brand new record. We'll be talking to them all about that. And uh, we haven't really set anybody up for August. I think we're going to start winding down on, you know, all the guests every week. I think when I can get them, we'll have them on. When I can't, I'm not going to go out of my way trying to find them and book them. It gets real time-consuming, and that's one of the reasons I get tired of actually doing the show. The whole booking process of getting guests, you know, sometimes there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of interviews. We actually have to pre-record some of them to get them all on, and most we do live. 95% of the interviews we do on the show are live, but it's getting harder and harder. So I think we're just going to take whichever one's coming, and we're not going to actively look for them unless I could dig up some classic underground band, and we'll get them on the show. All right, let me see what we can do next over here. I was just looking around. I mean, as much as I dislike Sebastian Bach, he was talking on Blabbermouth, I guess it was on the Eddie Trunk show, about how he doesn't use backing tracks or, you know, uh, lip sync live. And I'll give him credit for that. He doesn't do that. If he can't hit the notes, he doesn't hit them. I mean, he, he still can sing. He's just a dick. You know, that's how I feel about the guy. He's, he just still runs off with the mouth at, like, you know, 50-something years old. Uh, but, you know, he still has the chops most of the time, and he can sing. I've seen some performances where I couldn't stop laughing because he can't. But, like, he goes out there and he does what he does. So I give him credit for that. But he was talking about the bands that are, are constantly lip-syncing these days and how when you go to see his show, you know, you will get whatever he can give you live, you know. And he's right. There's the big thing about Kiss with Paul Stanley lip-syncing now, or maybe not completely lip-syncing, but, you know, singing with, you know, backing tracks added to help him out, you know, to round out his voice. But a lot of artists do that these days. And, I, you know, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I feel like, you know, when you pay to see a live show, you should get a live show. Unless you're paying to see the deal hologram, then you're getting a dead guy's show. And I think we're going to see more and more of that with more bands. And I'm amazed at how so many people, like, you know, don't it doesn't bother them. But with the lip syncing, I, maybe I should use lip syncing, but saying, singing to backing tracks. We had Joel and Turner on the show years ago, the first time we had him on there. And he had made a comment about how... I guess they were doing a show, and David Coverdale was David Whitesnake, and he used a, a machine to help enhance his vocals when he performs live. Now, I saw Tyrant live when they came to New York, and, uh, you know, they had it. You know, Greg May, his brother, was a singer in the band back then, Glenn, and you know, he had a little box on stage, and he kept pressing, like, when he hit a high note to hold out the note because, you know, his voice couldn't do it anymore. And listen, you know, you get older. You know, your voice doesn't hold up. You know, you can hear it in Rob Holford and Rob Halford and a lot of other bands. You know, they're all using these backing tracks now. And, you know, I don't personally care for it. I'd rather just see it live the way it is. 
that's me. I guess because I'm old school, and back in the 80s, most bands did perform everything live. They were talking about Rush playing with backing tracks because they can't recreate live with three people what they do on record. And I ask a lot of bands that question to have like these big elaborate albums where there's multiple things going on. I mean, you know, there's synthesizers going, there's backing tracks, there's other instruments. Like, you know, how do you how do you recreate that live? A lot of them say we use backing tracks, and I'm okay with that. Like, you know, when Ozzy's playing Mr. Crowley, and there's you know the keyboard intro being played on the track because they don't want to bring a keyboard player out to play maybe one or two songs. No, so I understand that, but as far as vocals go, I want to hear the singer singing live the best that he can. And you know what? If you can't do it anymore, just don't play. <laughs> that's it. I know it's hard to get out of the system, but just don't play. That's, you know, that's how I feel. I mean, you've seen me talk over the list how I'm getting frustrated and tired with the show. It's very time-consuming, and I don't want to do it anymore. But then a part of me says, you know, you got to keep doing it because you do enjoy it. And sometimes shows aren't that good. Well, most shows aren't that good that we do. But I'm just saying, you know, when it's not good anymore, you got to know when to fold it and get out. And a lot of bands do do that, uh, but obviously some of them don't. All right, I guess that's enough about that. Let's do some Raven Bitch, Next Victim.
out of London. That was Night Screamer. The band has a brand new record out. It came out, I think, around April or May. I haven't had a chance to uh, even pick it up yet. Never mind, listen to it. But uh, it's called Dead of Night. This comes off of their second EP from 2015 called Vigilante. A relatively new band, been around for five years, but pretty good, I have to say. All right, I was going through some of the blabbermouth stuff this week. I've been kind of busy, so I haven't really done a lot of uh, reading up on the news. Uh, but I see Sharon Osbourne is going at Bob Daisley again, calling him a sad old fuck. I mean, it's true, Bob Daisley won't let it go. And I get it. If you wrote a lot of money for music you wrote, you want to get that money, especially when you get up there in age and you're not making any more money. You know, but I, I read Bob Daisley's book, and it's a great book, but. You know, I always felt for Bob and Lee because they did get screwed big time out of all of this. I mean, bands, band members come and go, bands break up. I do believe that, you know, the original band was the Blizzard of Oz, and it was meant to be a band with Ozzy in it because his star had kind of fallen at that time after leaving Black Sabbath, you know, and this was before metal was really, like, on the rise again. Uh, and they kind of, like, you know, treated them like shit, but Bob Daisy kept coming back. I think it was up to the first album with Zach Wilde that he was still involved in, in the writing process, you know, lyrically, musically. So, I mean, if you got screwed the first two times, why would you go back a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time? So, like, after reading the book, I kind of didn't really feel bad for him anymore because, like, you can't possibly think that things are going to change when they were that bad to begin with. I mean, at least on the financial end of it, you know, and getting what you do and your compensation. So I kind of was feeling bad for him after reading the book, to be honest with you. But he's an amazing bass player and an incredible songwriter. You can't deny him that, you know. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing like they're talking about Sato the other day, you know, S-A-T-O, the song. And, you know, there's always been a lot of different meanings to what the song was. I forgot what he said. I, I think it was in the book, if I remember. Maybe I read an interview he did online somewhere. The song was originally called Strange Voyage or something. Uh, then, it was, uh, then it was changed to a different title, uh, Ships Against the Ocean. It has so many different meanings to it, but... Sharon Osborne came out and says, no, it meant Sharon Arden and Thelma Osborne. And he says that wasn't the song, that wasn't what it was meant to be, uh, you know, and that she kind of changed it around. And honestly, I don't know why she would put her name in there. And back at that time, Ozzy was still married to his wife, Thelma. And she was technically just their manager. I don't know why she would change the name of the song to put her name in there when she had no absolute meaning with Ozzy or the band. Even though she was fucking him, screwing around at the time, nobody knew that. I don't get it. And even when you read a lot of the lyrics to the song, I can't help but think that Bob Daisley kind of wrote it to let people know that he was cheating on his wife. With that. <laughs> if you read some of the lines, that's what it sounds like. But actually, it was supposed to be written about a, uh, it was about a letter by a Buddhist monk named Nishirin Dashion, if I'm pronouncing right, from like the 1200s. It was based on like his writings. But you can't help but think that it's about Ozzy cheating on his wife if you read the lyrics real closely. But then again, you can make lyrics of anything you want to make them into if you want to try hard enough. That's just the way it is out there. All right, how about we do... Let's get into some more music here, and then we're going to wrap it up a little early tonight because I want to go spend some time with my granddaughter. And my son-in-law's parents are always, so I want to go see them too. So how about we do some Oliver Magnum, Sister Sybil.
You know, we were talking about Joel and Turner earlier on in the show, and there you go, Rainbow Power from the Straight Between the Eyes record. That was the first Rainbow record I ever bought. Uh, I believe it was uh, early in 82 that that record came out. And, you know, it's funny how one band leads to another because, you know, in the late 70s, I mean, I was a big Kiss fan from the early 70s when they first came out. Well, really not when they came out. About 76, I got into them. I was about 10 years old at that time. And it's more because they were like a larger-than-life band, not so much because of the music. Yeah, these guys dressed like demons and wizards and all this other shit. And, you know, it was like just amazing to see that. And then I kind of grew into the music. And it was in the late 70s, around 79, maybe 80. You know, my cousins who lived in the same house as me in another apartment, uh, they used to blast music all the time. My cousin Sal was into heavy metal. Uh, but they were much older than me, so like, they couldn't talk to me, have anything to do with me, because I was an embarrassment, because I was a little kid. But, you know, that's the way it went back then. But I remember he used to play the solo time. And I asked him who it was. And he was like, oh, it's the band Black Sabbath. I said, okay. And a few years later, when I was old enough to get on my bike and ride to the local record store, I remember going in there and saying, you know, I want to get you know, a Black Sabbath record. you have anything in the used bin? Because they were cheap back then. When you had a paper out making a few dollars a week, that's all you could afford to buy. So I was like, oh, yeah, I have the new record. Uh, you know, it's in the bin over there. And it was the Heaven and Hell record. So I went home and I put it on. And I'm listening, I'm like, this doesn't sound like the guy that, you know, I heard on my cousin's stereo when he was playing it. And I'm looking at the name, and, uh, and it says Ronnie James Diggle. Maybe uh, that name Ozzy was like a nickname or something, like, you know, because you don't know anything. You know, you're trying to figure things out on your own and learn about the music and the bands. So I went home and I played the record. I'm like, you know, it was a great record, you know. And I remember going back to this little telling the guy, I says, well, you know, that didn't sound like the music that I heard, you know, coming from my cousin's house. And he's like, oh, you're probably thinking of the original version of Black Sabbath with Ozzy in the band. So then he gave me a Black Sabbath record. He goes, oh, that singer that was with them, he used to be in Rainbow. So I went and bought a Rainbow record, and that was straight between the eyes. I said, that doesn't sound like the guy on the Black Sabbath record. You know, I found out it was Joel and Turner, and that he played Rainbow before then. So, you know, that's how you kind of learned back then. This is before there were really any magazines. We only had Hit Parade and Cream, I believe, back then. You know, uh, Krang was around too, but I wouldn't know anything about it because I was kind of young, and it was a lot of money as an import in the local record store. So, you know, that's how you kind of figure things out. It's, you get to make friends, and other people told you about different things, and then Metal Forces came out, and that kind of changed the world for me. All right, we're going to wrap it up here soon. Let's do some Mean Streak, it seems to me.
my bullet locked in a cage. We're going to wrap up here tonight. I want to thank my guest, Kiko Shred. Don't forget to tune in next week. Jim Harris from Soundstorm is our guest. Have a great week, everybody. We're going to wrap it up here tonight with one more tune. I'm going to send this one out to my granddaughter, who's one week old tomorrow. I love you, Sophia. Good night, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday night. Here's Pretty Maids. Enter forevermore. Of the blind Whatever brought